1: Hey, I'm your host, Tim Eccles, and speaking of technology, I'm sitting at the Georgia Institute for Technology. Beautiful day here on campus, and I'm over by the Rosa Parks Sculpture uh, with my guest today, Dr. Marilyn Brown, a Regents professor. Hey, good morning, and tell us a little bit about what you love working here on the Tech campus.
0: Well, I love teaching. The smart students here at Georgia Tech are unparalleled. Uh, i teach an energy technology and policy course so we look at the two topics together in tandem what's the technology offering that we might want to try to exploit and what are the policies that we should use to try to maximize them
1: we're going to have a fun time in these first two segments talking to dr brown she and i work on a lot of different projects together just a joy to work with dr brown i I know neither uh, you nor i are sculptors but we're sitting here by the rosa parks sculpture, and it reminds me of the the Dexter Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, where I started Teen Pack, a national youth program at state capitals. It's in 50 state capitals, so I wish I knew more about uh, you know, engineering from a, you know, from an academic standpoint and finance, because it would really help me in my job. But I have a nonprofit master's from Georgia. I have a PR master's and, of course, my undergrad. So it would have probably would have been good for me to go to tech, at least for one of these degrees. But, uh, but I had a chance to take a number of students every time I go to Montgomery to that Dexter Street church. It was MLK's church when he was there. It was in the basement of that church that the Montgomery bus boycott was planned. And so just seeing this Rosa Parks sculpture here just reminds me of just what an incredible logistical organization that that bus boycott was. In fact, there's a mural across the wall in the basement of that church to the entire civil rights movement. But just a word as we before we get into all of our geeky stuff we have we have made such great progress uh as we've just recently not celebrated but more in the death of 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 a a great civil rights leader who helped integrate the university of Georgia. i mean you've you've seen you've seen tech really become an international mecca here
0: yes indeed our um Numbers of students and research productivity have actually grown through the pandemic. I'm very proud that here uh, at Georgia Tech, we have applied science to manage our campus. You'll see around here how we have everything labeled and all of the air filtration systems in every room. We're, we're really applying energy efficiency as well as uh, environmental mechanisms to, to push through this pandemic, so
1: we walk the talk here. You've done so many different things: serving on the TVA board, teaching here, organizing conferences, being uh, being a speaker. I mean, it's just such a, such a varied, you know, career. What some of the highlights or things that you've really it, personally enjoyed?
0: Well, I also was involved with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, for a number of years, including the 2007 uh, IPCC report that uh, co-won the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, uh, along with uh, Vice President Al Gore, and what I did on that was to continue my push to make sure that the demand side of the meter was always considered not just providing adequate supply. Uh, sustainably and economically but also looking at how the, uh, the consumer can help be part of the solution So at TVA, I helped to conspire to create this energy efficiency uh, power plant, right? What is the equivalent of a power plant that you could build out of managing the demand of TVA customers? And it turned out to be a very affordable power plant. And we did build some more of them when
1: I was there on the board. You know, I think about one of the classes, I think it was you that had me speak to a graduate class back, or maybe some researchers back early in my my tenure and they were studying legacy coal ash from various different plants and and just testing this coal ash to see how much of 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 its attributes it had lost and i i tweeted out the other day dr brown an article from the sierra club about uh, about rare earth metals coming out of of coal ash and you know and and the fact that you can take old coal ash and through this process this this being developed you can come up with some very valuable things and you know as you think about you know as we move forward i think we'll eventually close all of our coal plants here in georgia but all the coal ash remains do you anticipate more and more uh, beneficial uses of this so that eventually maybe it, it all disappears out of the ground
0: I do think there are many good beneficial uses for the coal ash and some of it's already um, being deployed as you know here in Georgia with the uh, concrete blocks that have ash in them. I'm also excited about the new uh, mining opportunities throughout the country though because we do need more lithium, we need more cobalt, we need to... uh, make sure we can provide more of our own supplies, right, of those rather than having to import them. So I can see a a future over the next decade where mining booms. So while it might not be coal mining, it's still valuable uh, mining, mining for valuable
1: assets. And so much is done here at Georgia Tech. uh, And, you know, (laughs) I mean, I was an English major, right? I was I was diagramming sentences over there, you know, while you guys were doing research on on various on, on various topics from manufacturing to industry to I mean, tech does so much. Uh, and I've been to the MIT campus. I've been to the Texas A and M campus. I mean, Georgia Tech has become an engineering powerhouse in America.
0: Oh, it is. Year after year, we're rated in the top five for at least three, if not four, of our engineering schools. Always for systems engineering, we're number one. But also mechanical and aerospace, uh, civil and environmental. It is incredible that uh, we are up there with MIT and UC Berkeley, Stanford, and all the big names. But I think that nationally we don't have the name recognition. So I am always, you know, for instance, sometimes I'm uh, introduced as Marilyn Brown from Georgia State University. I don't know where they get these names sometimes. It's Georgia Tech, it's the Georgia Institute of Technology. It should roll
1: off our tongues, right? Given our powerhouse. I mean, we're sitting here on the tech campus, kind of in the shadow of the Coca Cola world headquarters. And you think about Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? And how Cambridge is a destination place for healthcare technologies and many many different many different things there you think about uh, you think about uh, Texas A&M and the businesses that they attract Georgia Tech really is becoming a magnet for businesses just to be in close proximity to the campus right?
0: Yeah, Midtown is booming. I'm sure when you drove here this morning, you had to drive around some barricades because we are building so many headquarters and new, co- new office complexes. I am worried. I'm not sure that we're going to fill them all. It's going to take a while, but eventually, and we are an engine of economic Growth
1: for sure. You've got this new building on campus, the Candida Building, the Living Building, and I I mean, I I can't see the NCR Building from where we're sitting right now, but that that double platinum lead building and the fact that they pump that that runoff water up and flush the toilets in that building and how cool that is. But the Candida Building is even cooler. (laughs) I, I know that you guys are proud to have that, and I'm seeing tours virtual tours and other things you've been in the building right and, and why are you guys so proud of that
0: well it's a first of a kind for a lot of different uh, water and energy and other sustainability uh, approaches so a net zero uh, building at this point and it's an education opportunity with all the tours we're really hopeful that it'll be replicated and that's that's the sign of success Right. But yeah, it is um, it does take you aback when you go into the toilet at the Candida building and you have all the signs about do not that do not, none of this and none of that and follow these instructions it's a new future but hey the payback's terrific
1: Yeah, so so much technology on the scene i mean right here on north avenue you've got some very special specialized street crossing equipment uh that can sense if a live human is there you've got i know that we did this ev drive around uh the campus as we were promoting low-speed electric vehicles and north avenue as a smart kind of a smart street a smart corridor and i know covid is has has kind of thrown a kink in a lot of stuff that we're doing but i do anticipate that you know from this world of world uh, this coke building here the world headquarters down to pont city I can see in five or ten years just every smart technology known to man and woman being there
0: uh, yes indeed and of course autonomous vehicles being part of that on that stretch of North Avenue I am sure we're going to be looking at how well they how well they operate what the mm, solutions might be to make them safe and the and the citizens around them yeah um, I do, uh, of course, myself get very excited about all of the ways that we can be part, that individuals can be part of these innovative solutions so you can fill your own house. We'll maybe turn to some of that next.
1: Yeah, let's... uh, let's Let's hang on with Dr. Brown here on the Tech Campus in our next segment. Let's talk about some of these technologies, some of these opportunities. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm your host. I'm on the Public Service Commission. I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. Stick around. We'll be right back with Dr. Marilyn Brown.
2: Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in
3: putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in
2: need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth, the difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not for profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC.
1: but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles back with Energy Matters. I'm on the tech campus here. And Dr. Brown, uh, I mean, being a triple dog, I mean, you see, I got red and black on today. Uh, um, Being a triple dog, I do get the heebie-jeebies when I come on this campus. And I think it was just instilled in me from a very young age. You know, my dad went to Georgia and, and you, you know, the rivalry that goes on. But now that I'm on the commission, I've been on the commission 11 years and I see the incredible contribution that Georgia Tech makes in technology, in sustainability, in engineering. I mean, this is a fantastic campus see I can't believe I'm saying that this is a fantastic campus and I love I love coming here I love speaking to students I mean maybe say a word about that really cool focus group that we did earlier and some of the neat students that were on that
0: Uh Yeah, so um, a couple of times a month for about an hour, we brought together some students who were doing uh, courses or interested in energy technologies, and you helped to put them in touch with different businesses and, and different uh, data on how those technologies are working around the country because you've traveled so much, you know where they're in place, so that's really helpful. Uh, yeah, so it was fun to, to watch them mature, and some of those students are now um, in the job, and on uh, on the job, in jobs around Atlanta. You
1: know, one of the joys that I have in my life is helping other people get to the next level. Yeah, maybe it's not where they will eventually wind up, but you've got to. You've, you've got to to walk before you run and you've got to take the next opportunity that's in front of you. And uh, if we had time, uh, we could go back through your whole life story and find out all the ways that that's happened to you and that's happened to me. But I want us to talk in this segment about ways that people can get involved. And, you know, you and I will be on the podium together at the climate conference down in Jekyll Island. I'm doing a pre-energy conference Uh, that's going to focus really on EVs solar and sustainability. We are even talking about doing a cannonball run EV version um, from North Georgia to Jekyll obeying the speed limit of course with all kinds of EVs including a school bus making its way down there, shuttle vans, um, you know old Nissan Leafs and of course the Teslas and we're going to handicap each one of the technologies based on their range and their uh and their uh their their top speed and give extra points if you're driving a slow vehicle so it's going to be a really fun thing but you know as you think about how the average person can engage on this what are some of the things that you talk about
0: well, I do often talk about the issue of equity and the ability for everyone to participate in this. And some of my uh, favorite activities are outside of the affordability realm of households, of some that are that are resource-strapped. So I'm always looking for ways to help them become part of the solution, too, and en- enjoy some of the... Um, you know, the benefits that technologies are bringing us. But I wanted to uh, remind everyone that you were partly responsible for making sure we have net metering for solar um, in at, uh, at Georgia Power. So if you're a Georgia Power customer, I think maybe throughout the state or whoever is uh, your retail power um uh, provider, you can sell back your sol- the solar electricity that you don't consume locally to the utility at the same price that you purchase it at. So they call that net metering. It's like the meter goes both ways. One way when you're consuming it, the other way when you're selling it. And that makes solar now very affordable and, and attractive. So that's one great way that we all can be uh, part of this uh, this technology uh, revolution.
1: And Dr. Brown, uh, you're, you're- you know, fluent in the ways of politics, because you work with so many elected officials, and you know kind of the dynamics of the world that I work in. And for years, every year, in fact, Dr. Brown, my solar friends said, we need net metering, And I, I honestly think that they eventually gave up. Uh, until 2019, I was sitting in my colleague colleague's office, Jason Shaw. He had gone out for something, and Thatcher. Uh, Young was was out in the hall uh, along with James Marlowe and uh, I waved them in and they said to me as we were getting ready you know to do uh, this uh, this this rate case they said Commissioner we we, you know we think you could do monthly netting and I had not even been thinking about it at the time Uh, and and they set me down and reminded me of what it would take and and the benefits and how it would cut the payback on a solar system by about 30% and it really reminded me of my early days in you know in promoting solar and wanting to make sure that the utility and others did not view a solar uh, a solar owner at their home host in, in a hostile way, uh, that they're our friend. They've built a power plant on top of their house. They're contributing to the grid. Let's not be mean to these people. Um, but we were able to get that done. And I'm so thankful that my colleagues trusted me and allowed us to move this forward. And I am hearing a lot of solar developers say that this has created a lot of new buzz and new business for them across the state.
0: One of the perhaps unforeseen benefits is that it is informing people about how they're using their electricity. You know, that education role is so important. Um, and so, for instance, I can look minute by minute at how I'm using electricity and what I'm sending back to the um, Georgia Power. but. I wanted to say now for your next big accomplishment, we need to get that information back to all consumers, whether or not they have solar, because they need to know how they're using their electricity. And if they do, they'll be better, conser- better consumers. You
1: know, this, this reminds me of visiting Abacorn Commons in Savannah. A Jewish gentleman named Martin Malaver built this, this lead gold McDonald's. Uh, down there, Uh, as well as uh, the entire shopping plaza was the lead lead goal, probably the first lead building ever built in Savannah. But uh, as I was touring this with him and some others, I asked the McDonald's um, young lady who was waiting on me. I said, are, "Are you aware this is a lead gold building?" No, I, I'm not aware of that. Are, are you aware of what lead is? No, uh, I'm not. No one had informed her about this. And I, uh, to 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 my host that day, I said, "You know, we owe it to ourselves to make sure that our young people understand this." Exactly to your point, Dr. Brown, is that they've got to see how is this working? How is it benefiting uh, us? And not just not just the McDonald's, but the whole grid, right? Because you think about what EVs do, charged at home overnight, putting downward pressure on rates. So it doesn't matter if you own an EV or not. We all should be promoting folks to have EVs and charging them at home because of the grid efficiency. So hooray to what you're saying here is that we we need to educate not just the people that come on this Georgia Tech campus who have an engineering aptitude but people like me, right, English majors who, who are sitting up there sipping Starbucks in Athens or something, uh, we, we, need to, we need to make sure everybody understands how this works. That means we need to have monitors in the building showing, you know, every building showing, here's what our solar array is doing. We need to put it on people's bills and remind them, hey, this is what solar is doing for you and how it's fractionally lowering, lowering your rates. I mean, you've got lots of ideas about how we can educate people, but, but this needs to be an ongoing process.
0: So that's a great segue to the Drawdown Georgia project, because by the end of this year, we're going to have dashboards available for every county and metro area in the state of Georgia, which provides them with an average per capita level of consumption for their households, businesses, industry, and transportation. So it's an aggregate number. It's not as powerful as knowing your consumption, but it does provide the leaders across the state with some comparative statistics. And if they're doing really well, they can boast. And if they're not doing real well, well, they may think about how they can do better,
1: right? And we have seen that this sociological uh, info dump that uh, I'll call it with a company like Opower and others that provide information about how your neighbors are doing without giving their name of course I mean, no no privacy being violated here but it there there is this positive peer pressure that 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 can happen well as we wrap up our time here on the tech campus kind of give us a preview of you know what's what's ahead for you Dr. Brown as you as you look at this this next chapter of your life oh,
0: yeah Well, I'm so excited about uh, the next phase of our Drawdown Georgia project because we have something like 200 students now in classes across the campus doing um, exercises, calculations, case studies of what technologies would work where in the state of Georgia. We're bringing it home. You know, we'd normally focus much broader but for me this year it's been it's all been all about Georgia and everyone's excited because they like that local um, that local connection so that's my next year.
1: And how can folks get in touch with you or learn more about sustainability at Georgia Tech?
0: A couple of ways mbrown9 at gottech.edu that's the easiest way you can also Google drawdown GA is our nomenclature and find that on the website. You can look up information on our Masters of Sustainable Energy and Environmental Management, (MSEM), a one-year master's program in sustainability, which brings together the engineering and the policy. So lots of ways to engage.
1: Hey, it may be time for me to get one more master's degree. <laughs> hey, stick around. Casey Boyce is going on the road and talking about hydrogen, the big H. Everybody's talking about H. So... Look forward to having you back with us on Energy Matters each and every week, all across the state of Georgia and all around the world. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Commissioner Eccles or Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles. This is Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Chemicals for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information.
0: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales.
2: COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey
3: Boyce. I'm joined in this segment and through the rest of the show by Stuart Stewart, who is with a company called Biotech. Stuart, welcome to Energy Matters. Thanks, Casey. Good to be with you today. Yeah, likewise. Tell us a little bit about
4: yourself. Who are you and what do you do at Biotech? Yeah, Bantech's a company that makes uh, hydrogen generators uh, to sort of forward the energy transition by making uh low-cost and low-carbon hydrogen uh, ubiquitous to the degree that we can. Um, but for me, the, the story with hydrogen probably starts, uh, I guess I was the son of a, a Texas uh, oil man and wildcatter, um, and at the same time, I've got a forestry degree, so I'm a bit of a, a contrast there, a study in contrast. Um, you know, back in school, hydrogen is something we had heard about as being the magic bullet for sustainability and, and saving the world from climate change. But it always seemed like economically the interests were aligned against it, right? We've got a pretty big uh, incentives aligned for the current petroleum-based economy that we have and didn't really think that we'd ever get to a hydrogen economy. And I'd say about five years ago, I started to realize that um, really forces were sort of aligning to make hydrogen a economic reality today, that there were opportunities to get low carbon and low cost hydrogen out there in the world, um, and that it really could compete on a one-to-one basis. So uh, roll forward, here we are now. All right, so I am really looking forward
3: to getting into this with you, because as some of our listeners may know, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a hydrogen skeptic. I would love to see it happen. Right. So it's it's not so much, you know, what I'd like to see. It's it's just kind of what the uh, what I've seen. And so I'm looking forward to you challenging me. But I'm curious before we go there, how did you go from forestry, getting a degree in forestry to doing hydrogen uh, in this kind of entrepreneurial startup environment?
4: Yeah, I, you know, my, my early days in my career, my, my first job was running a call center for EPA on hazardous and solid waste, the RCRA Superfund and Underground Storage Tank Hotline. That sounds and, like and, a lot of fun. Oh, I mean, good times. Good times, you can't imagine. <laughs> we, 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 we fielded all the calls out there from the regulated community, from sort of the top environmental attorneys in the country, all the way down to grandma who might have lead-based paint in her garage and what should she do with it. Um, what that convinced me, was that basically most companies were just interested in staying off the front page and minimizing expenses on environmental issues. It really was a, just a end of tailpipe consideration of how do we minimize cost and minimize, you know sort of the, the repercussions of what's out there rather than thinking about it at a progressive way, where waste to a certain degree is just an efficiency, and it's a cost for your business that really could be used as an input for something else. So it got me thinking about what is now called the circular economy, and I went off uh, to get a a master's degree in something uh, uh, focused on industrial ecology, uh, which really focuses on the sort of reuse of waste. At the same time, got a a business degree at the same time because I realized if I was going to have any impact uh, on large companies, I need to understand economics and finance a lot better. So that's how I dove into that and uh, I got the environmental degree uh, from the School of Forestry. Interesting. Well,
3: and and certainly, you know, we've talked a little bit about it on on the show before. Georgia's got a lot of biomass production, right? A lot of uh, timber production. And one of the things that we've done with uh, some of the waste from that is actually uh, turned it into an energy source. So we've pelletized, um, you know, wood waste that otherwise couldn't be used, and it's being co-fired in generation plants to help reduce uh, carbon and other pollution in in coal-fired plants. Now, unfortunately, a lot of that's going over to the UK uh, and not Being used here in the US, but hey, at least we're doing something with that waste, right? (laughs) Look, it's
4: a starting point, and and that's sort of the story of a lot of energy projects, products, right? We, um, the world is moving, I think, over time to distributed generation where we are going to be generating things closer to the point of consumption and that's a big thing for both the energy grid and resilience in general but also in terms of diversity of supply but in general wasting you know getting rid of, of waste and efficiency and the emissions that come with it so yeah at some point hopefully those biomass resources aren't going across the atlantic but i know that a lot from my days over in the uk i spent four years over there and definitely saw a lot of the forestry materials going over to the, the east side of the atlantic yeah well okay so so here's where i want to come back to
3: what drew you to doing hydrogen so I remember reading a book in the it must have been mid to late 90s, basically saying, you know, the story of energy is increasing decarbonization, um, that every energy source has had fewer and fewer carbon molecules in it, and that the logical endpoint for energy is hydrogen, removing all of the carbon molecules entirely. And it was talking about how the hydrogen economy was just around the corner and it was going to be the greatest thing. And of course, we do not have anything close to a hydrogen economy right now so i'm really curious Stuart, as as you know you were thinking about this and and kind of launched into to doing what you're doing at bayotech what was it that convinced you that this was the right time to really launch into what you're doing around providing this distributed hydrogen solution And we'll come back we'll tell our listeners more about what that looks
4: like but but why is the this the right time for hydrogen Decarbonization, I think, is really the major theme that's going to really disrupt the energy industry and a lot of the economy in general going forward. And you wouldn't have thought that in the middle of the pandemic and potentially high unemployment that the sustainability story would continue to grow and pick up speed. But really, um, in just the last six months alone, the growth in the hydrogen industry and the focus and attention on it has been enormous. So that was really sort of gratifying to see the industry continue to grow despite sort of the economic headwinds of what we're looking at in general. Um, the decarbonization story is really what's what's pushing it and driving it. You know, I came to hydrogen from the waste to energy side originally, and what we came to realize in that business, which was uh, municipal solid waste and gasification technologies, advanced gasification, which is pretty complicated, um, was that at the end of the day, competing with low-cost electricity um, in the waste to energy space was really an uphill battle. And what the world needed instead was an opportunity to decarbonize the much more challenging sectors, transportation, heavy industry, things that electricity alone and a, you know windmills and solar power can't necessarily decarbonize. And to me, that's where the answer, you know, I really started to focus about five years ago on the idea of hydrogen as the source to do that. And what would be the least cost pathway in order to get there to support that. And, and why that's important at the end of the day, right? Hydrogen put into a fuel cell um, hydrogen from any source, realistically, is a lower carbon source of mobility, transportation, energy work, all the things that we want to do to keep the economy and people going um, because of the gained efficiency of the fuel cell relative to an internal combustion engine or another source of, of generation. So it really is that that efficiency that we leverage to get more work or more drive out of the hydrogen or out of the energy source.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, your, your comment about seeing this continue to grow through the pandemic in 2020. And, you know, in, in my work, which is uh, helping energy utilities understand their customers better, we saw a very similar thing with customer concern about climate change um, really spiking over the course of 2020. Um, and, you know, I would have thought that, coronavirus would have sucked all the air out of the room, right? But but people really saw, I think, you know, when the lockdowns first hit and, you know, you're based there in the the Los Angeles area. I mean, there were some really stunning photos of L.A. with clean air coming out in, you know, March and April. And and I think people saw that and it hit them in a very visceral visceral way, um, not to mention all the climate disasters that we've had over the past year that, that people really are looking for solutions right now. So let's talk uh, for a moment um, Um, if you don't mind. So when you're looking at, you know, customers right now for hydrogen, who currently uses hydrogen? um, And are there other uh, sectors that are using other fuels that could transition over to hydrogen in a fairly straightforward manner?
4: Yeah. Let me give you both the sort of the the demand and the supply pictures both. Perfect. Yeah. So um, today, you know, sort of the majority of the world's hydrogen, 95% of it probably comes from what's called steam methane reforming, which is what we do at a small scale and do on site. Um, that produces about 95% of the world's hydrogen. And can you describe um,
3: real quickly for our, our listeners, like what is steam methane reforming? What, what is that yeah. actually? So basically
4: you you take um, hot steam and a, a source of methane and you heat that up um, with a furnace and you pass that over a catalyst at high temperature and low pressure. And that splits the CH4 molecule um, that is methane and splits that into hydrogen and carbon monoxide predominantly. And then you put that through a secondary reaction also with steam again and heat over another catalyst. And that drives that CO into CO2 and more hydrogen. Got it. So the reaction okay. basically, you, you end up splitting water for half your hydrogen and you end up splitting methane for the other half of your hydrogen. And those two things basically produce hydrogen from methane. Got it. So the main reason we do this and, and why that is a, a, a big source of hydrogen today is for two industries predominantly. Oil refining and ammonia plants. Ammonia used is in the whole fertilizer value chain, both for ammonia itself as well as for urea and other products. Um, so hydrogen today we make for those two large industrial users and it tends to be made in hundreds of millions of dollar plants very large centralized industrial facilities that make great amounts of hydrogen. Now, as hydrogen is beginning to be used for mobility applications and put into fuel cells or for remote power applications and a more diversified set of users of hydrogen, the problem is the prior infrastructure for hydrogen doesn't accommodate that demand very well. We have a few large generators of hydrogen that are spread across the country in some remote locations. Hydrogen generally to get it to its end point of use has to be compressed or, or liquefied in order to make it economic to move it around. Right? Hydrogen is a very light gas, the lightest one you know, possible. So it is both energy rich, but um, at the end of the day, it, it needs to be compressed to be moved. The problem with that is that it takes a lot of carbon intensity and a lot of cost to compress or liquefy hydrogen and move it around. So the goal is to, to put that hydrogen generation closer to the point of use. Got it. Okay,
3: well, we are going to keep you over for one more segment, Uh, Stuart. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, you're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. We'll be right back with Stuart Stewart from Bayotech, and we're going to continue talking about hydrogen and how to get it close to users.
1: Everyone has tough times in their life. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it, and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. EV hybrid.com.
2: This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey
3: Boyce here today with Stuart Stewart from Biotech, and we are talking about hydrogen. So, Stuart, you mentioned before the break that the big users of hydrogen right now are ammonia production, um, and uh, the other piece was… Oil refineries. Oil refineries, that's right. We don't have a whole lot of those in Georgia. That's why it slipped my mind. Um, But, you know, I wanted to go to what other kinds of industrial uses… Um, you see for hydrogen and and kind of where you see that becoming a fuel that is used more frequently and, and, you know, maybe displacing other technologies that are there right now. So
4: what are the opportunities around that? You bet. So on the industrial side, hydrogen uh, has applications for its high heat, right? So hydrogen is a clean burning fuel, um, both for being put into a fuel cell to generate electricity, but then also as a primary fuel itself, right? Hydrogen can be burned and its only byproduct from combustion then is water vapor. Um, so, and it burns at a very high hot temperature. So it's used in industrial applications like glass making, um, cement making, um, or both direct high heat applications to use it. And then also in the steel and and iron industry. So, all those have applications for hydrogen. So, we've had some
3: conversation on the show before. So, Ted Lewin, uh, who is a professor at Georgia Tech, uh, came on the show and he talked a little bit about some of the challenges of incorporating hydrogen in power generation um, and in in kind of the gas transmission system, in, in part because it's not methane, right? And so, you know, you get over a certain. Percentage And it creates some issues with brittleness of infrastructure and things like that. So he talked a little bit about some of the challenges. It sounds to me like the way that you're approaching this is a solution, because to your point, you don't have to compress it and transport it. And, you know, to to what Professor Lewin mentioned, you don't have to worry about shipping it through the existing natural gas system. You're kind of putting it at the point that it is being used. How does this play out with transportation? So, you know, I know Toyota has a a fuel cell vehicle not available here in Georgia, but it is in California where where you are. Um, I actually know someone who has leased one of these Toyota Mirais, um, and he loved the car. Um, But we don't see a whole lot of of transportation using hydrogen. But is there an opportunity for that in your mind?
4: Absolutely. So I actually drive a Hyundai Nexo. I drive the small SUV um, here in California, and it is great. You know, basically, a fuel cell electric vehicle, KC, is a battery electric vehicle. Um, for the user, the experience is very similar. Instant pickup, uh, zero emissions while driving it. Um, it really is sort of a joy to drive. It's a lot of fun. Um, the main difference between a battery electric and a fuel cell electric vehicle is in a battery electric, you're hauling around a couple hundred pounds, if not thousand pounds plus, depending on the size of the vehicle and battery weight uh, and all the space that takes up. And in a fuel cell electric vehicle, you have a small battery, a fuel cell stack that sort of resembles a battery in a lot of ways. And then a, a in my case, a call it six kilogram tank of compressed hydrogen um, or in a large vehicle, maybe up to 40 or 50 kilograms of hydrogen that you would see in a, in a bus or a heavy duty vehicle like the class eight truck. And what that does then is generate hydrogen or sorry, electricity on the fly from the hydrogen. Uh, going through your fuel cell. So it's basically an electric vehicle, but you generate the electricity on the fly as needed, rather than carrying around in heavy batteries. So those vehicles are great, and they really are sort of the story for decarbonizing, material goods moving, you know, forklifts, heavy duty vehicles, all those things. The, The more something needs to basically be used constantly, driven over long distances, or move heavy stuff, probably the better it is for a fuel cell electric than it is for a battery electric in the long run. Well, fun story. The last time I got pulled over by the police, I was
3: actually in a fuel cell vehicle. Uh, (laughs) So I was at a conference in Colorado and Mercedes brought a prototype of their B-class. This is kind of like a small hatchback um, that was uh, powered by fuel cells. And we kind of needled their representative into taking it for a test drive. And we loaded four of us up in this thing. And part of the reason he was reluctant is that the car was experimental. It wasn't registered in the U.S. It didn't have a license plate on it. So we actually grabbed a license plate from another car that was on display there. So the license plate that we had was not at all registered to this vehicle. And we pulled out of the hotel. I was not driving. I was a passenger. And within, within probably 100 feet, we got lit up. And it, uh, the, the guy who was driving from Mercedes was, was very flustered and, of course, you know, concerned about all of this. And the reason that we got pulled over, it turns out, was that... Um, he didn't turn his lights on, and so the police were not too terribly happy with that. But uh, but that was last time I got pulled over by the police. I did not get a chance to drive that vehicle um, because uh, he was so flustered. We we went right back to the hotel. But uh, in any case, it is exactly as you described. I mean, it was very smooth, silent, very much like the electric vehicles that uh, you know I've driven. Um, So I want to come back, Stuart. You know, you talked about your process for creating hydrogen on site, right, Um, where you're using the steam reformation, basically high heats, water, and then methane. Um, And you started off in terms of your journey and and telling us about yourself with this idea of the circular economy, right, this idea of using waste from something to generate something else. And we've kind of, you know, alluded to this along the way. But as you think about Decarbonizing different sectors, whether it's the existing users, the ammonia producers, like we've got in Augusta, um, or you know new users like you know transportation or steelmaking, it, it does matter what that source is that goes in with water. And, and kind of, what's your thought on that, and how are you addressing that from a sustainability standpoint?
4: You bet. Um, Let me start off by saying just sort of in general, um, in any source of methane, including pipeline natural gas from Georgia Gas or other, right at the end of the day, when you take that gas and you split that and make hydrogen out of it and then put it into a fuel cell, because the 2 to 3x efficiency of a fuel cell versus an internal combustion engine, you you go further and have a lower carbon footprint associated with it. So you get about 40% carbon improvement in a light duty vehicle right off the bat, just going from fossil natural gas, which is an enormous improvement and speaks to why hydrogen today can be a cost effective transition to begin our movement to a low carbon economy. And that's just taking straight, you know, standard fossil natural gas through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. The opportunities to approve that then are enormous um, because what you can do is use biogas or biomethane as your source of that molecule to begin with. So. Um, people ask me how realistic is that the Renewable Natural Gas Coalition of North America says there's about 43,000 sites across North America that we could use to be generating biomethane that includes landfill gas anaerobic digestion of dairy waste or agricultural wastes, um, you know animal manure swine and the swine manure uh, dairy manure etc um, or wastewater treatment plants so whether you're talking about rural communities or cities there are sources of biogas that allows everybody to generate low carbon hydrogen or even um, carbon negative hydrogen at the local level. So that means local jobs, local energy, increased energy resilience, diversity of supply, all the things that in general make the energy economy better. There's an opportunity for hydrogen to be produced locally using a, a machine like biotex.
3: Let's pull on this thread a little bit more because we've talked a bit on the show before about renewable natural gas. We've got plenty of opportunity here in Georgia, particularly with the agricultural sector and, and, you know, even more particularly chicken litter. Right. Right. Um, and, And, you know, Commissioner Eccles has talked about his desire to get more chicken litter turned into renewable natural gas. It, you know, for someone who is thinking about, you know, let's let's just, you know, use a hypothetical manufacturing facility in, in Georgia. Right. Um, if they're looking at, OK, we, we really want to decarbonize our operations. Right. We really want to focus on sustainability. And they're hearing about renewable natural gas and they're hearing about hydrogen is there an advantage to one over the other from a sustainability standpoint I, I you know I understand that there may be some you know differences in terms of how it's used in the end that might influence that decision but but how might someone think about it from a, a sustainability standpoint about you know one versus the other particularly if you've got that renewable natural gas going into the hydrogen process as a feedstock
4: yeah so the the trade-off is basically that if you took the same renewable natural gas, and you convert it into hydrogen. Even taking into account the losses, the fuel cell electric vehicle is going to go further on a total uh, emissions basis, have less emissions than an RNG vehicle would. So, um, just converting it and leveraging the additional efficiency of the fuel cell will get you, you know, more highway miles, more lift, more et cetera. The other advantage of doing it through a fuel cell um, is that there's zero emissions in use. So your buses, your heavy-duty vehicles, you know, these often are going through some of our most environmentally polluted communities. If you about, you know, ports and bus depots and truck depots, these are all areas that have aggregated concentrated emissions and typically are the worst source of air in any local community. If you go to zero emission vehicles, fuel cell battery, whatever, there is zero pollution at the point of use. So you have no more NOx, SOx, particulate matter, all the things that contribute to local poor air quality. Gotcha. And as far
3: as industrial uses, briefly in the last 30 seconds or so that we've got here, is there any consideration
4: uh, there within stationary applications? Yeah, absolutely. So power applications are very important. You know, any place you have a remote power that's using a remote power diesel. Um, remote diesel generators are a huge source of local air pollution, you know, and particularly in agricultural communities for water pumping and other things like that. You can also ha- often have huge emissions that come from those. You will see a lot of those transition to fuel cell power over time. Uh, and there are companies out there who, who make their business today delivering hydrogen to those locations. You'll also see hydrogen being used in combustion applications like at power plants. And as you mentioned, decarbonizing the natural gas grid for natural gas utilities. Those are all big roles for hydrogen going forward um, that we believe will be be coming to states like Georgia over time. In addition to the hydrogen highway, right? Probably where you'll see it first moved, I would suspect, would be in buses or trains. It's a great fuel source basically for for, um, municipal transit. So we'll really see those sort of things take off and then see point to point things in the heavy goods movement. So look forward to the hydrogen economy coming to Georgia soon. Yeah, it sounds great. Well, Stuart, I've certainly learned a lot in the conversation.
3: Uh, you know, our, our listeners, I hope you guys have as well. Uh, for those uh, folks who are listening that want to find out more about you or about Bayotech, Stuart, where can people find you?
4: Uh, we're an Albuquerque-based company. We are at U uh, S, or you can find me uh, via LinkedIn. I'm Stuart Stewart, uh, spelled the same way. So sounds great talking to you, Casey. Appreciate the time today.
3: Yeah. Great to have you on the show, folks. You can find us at Matters Radio on Twitter. I'm at Casey Boyce. And of course, you can always stream our past episodes at WGAUradio.com slash Energy Matters. Have a great rest of your
2: day.
1: we